Hey, thanks for taking time to listen to this week's episode of the show. My guest this week is Jennifer Sundberg. Jennifer is based in London. She's written a book called How to Build a Business That's Smarter Than You. And someone I look up to, an author on sales, a guy called Daniel Pink. You may have heard of him before. Um, He's written books like To Sell as Human. Um, He calls it an essential guide to help leaders tap their organization's full potential. Now, what's interesting here is that Jennifer began as a consultant like you and I, someone helping organizations to unleash their potential, and then developed software, which helps them even more. And there is an AI element to this. But the message here today is not about software. It's about thinking how you can actually serve an organization in such a way that you become sticky, and then you might develop products or services around their needs that makes you almost like a partner, not just someone that provides a solution, which is often where your competition is. So it's a really interesting episode. All links in today's episode will, of course, be over on trainingbusiness.com. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey, welcome to the show. My name is Mark. This is the weekly show for people like you and I. Every Thursday, in fact, for the last five and a bit years, I've been talking to people like you, of course, but interviewing people like Jennifer and many authors, trainers, coaches, facilitators, people around the world who are using their skills, expertise, and monetizing it. That's the key point here, guys, monetizing it because it helps us to generate an income, whether it's in the form of passive income products like online training and books and so on, or whether it's something live on site like consultancy or facilitation workshops, etc. So if you're in this game, uh, either you're at the beginning of it or you're down the line and you're experienced, there is something for everyone on the show. If you've not yet subscribed, you'll find all episodes past, present and future over on www.trainingbusiness.com. Jennifer, hi, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. The reason we're talking, well, a couple of reasons, in fact, uh, one of which is that I came across the cover of your book recently, and I thought that's quite intriguing. It's called Collective Intelligence, How to Build a Business That's Smarter Than You. Um, You have a consultancy background, which is helpful because that's what I'm in, and that's what many people are in as well, listening to the show. And as consultants, we often try and uh, bring in a solution to fix a problem but that's not necessarily what what a business needs. Talk to me first of all about the thinking behind your book and what are some of the lessons that uh, uh, you've come up with that help organizations to build intelligence within and why? Yeah, thank you. So, um, yes, so the title of our book, How to Build a Business That's Smarter Than You Are, we we asked our team, so I I run a business board intelligence, there's about uh, 150 or so colleagues behind me. And um, and we are, yeah, myself and my co-chief exec, Pippa Begg, we asked the team what we should call the book. We'd written it, but we needed a title. And uh, this was the title they came up with. So we should probably be a bit insulted that they think this is the title of the book we're qualified to write. Um, but uh, but it does it does sum it up, I think, quite well, the thesis of the book, which is which comes from insights that we had working with our clients in the boardrooms of many of the world's largest businesses. So lots of FTSE 100s, Fortune 100 organisations. And helping 
the directors around the table to get access to the quality of information they needed to do their jobs, right? And that's a bigger challenge than you might imagine, or perhaps you perhaps you would imagine it to be so, you know, the, the scope of the role of a board director is, especially for a large multinational, it's pretty huge. And so the information flow that goes into many large company boardrooms is overwhelming. And even if it were incredibly relevant and well-written, which it is not, but even if it were, the, simply the volume of it is is indigestible. You know, it's, it's really hard to get through. So there's a, a big challenge in boardrooms and we we as a firm board intelligence uh, began by began our journey specializing in solving for that but what we realized was that the problems that we were seeing with information in the boardroom were canaries in the coal mine so there were three characteristics of a good set of information in the boardroom it's it's information that is full of critical thinking lots of the the why the so what the now what not just a big information dump right so lots of good critical thinking it's really well communicated so it is short enough to be read and it is focused on what matters most, going back to the huge volume of, uh, the huge scope of their responsibilities. So it has to really funnel in on, on the most pertinent matters. But where any one of those three qualities is missing, the critical thinking, the clear communication, or the focus, it's a smoke signal that there's a problem in the wider management team. So typically, the absence of any one of those three characteristics in the board information is symptomatic of a critical thinking, a communication, or a focus gap deficit within the large management team and fixing it, solving it matters far more than simply serving the board up with a better product or a better set of tools. Okay. So of course, people listening to this will not necessarily have a board. Um, they won't have advisors or any formal board behind them, but there are still lessons which are pertinent to someone running their own business. So what comes to mind for you if you're talking right now to someone who's listening to you and thinking, um, I want to build a business or at least help my clients as a consultant build capability. Um, how can I do that? And what does the book help me to do? Right. So exactly. So as a business, we have spent the last few years building our toolkit, our playbook in how to help our clients to develop new habits, new capabilities around each of those three disciplines, critical thinking, clear communication and focus. If I take critical thinking as an example, how do you help everyone in your organization to think more and better? You know, it's easy to say, but hard to do. How do you do that? At the heart of that part of the playbook lies questions. Our whole methodology is called the question-driven insight principle, and it's because of the power of questions. So questions are the spark and the fuel of pretty much you know, hmm. all of mankind's greatest discoveries and inventions, right? It so is, these are uh, questions that you're using to consult with your clients before you help them? So what we do is help our clients and the many ranks of, of management teams within their organizations to develop a habit of asking themselves questions. So gotcha. we help them to build a habit of questioning. So take an example, uh, you have a, uh, a monthly performance meeting or a quarterly business review, or you need to prepare a business case for you know, to request some funds. Uh, typically those activities, those those rituals are seen as a bit of a drag on performance, right? It gets in the way of doing your day job. We hijack those activity sets, those pre-scheduled events that are in most people's calendars throughout the year. We hijack them and we turn them into the place for deep critical thinking and questioning. And the first step in the in the development of a management report or business case is to ask yourself as a management team member, what are the critical questions that I need to ask myself in order to prepare this report or 
business case. So if I am, for example, preparing a management report, the first thing to do is think, you know, so what is it I'm trying to achieve? Let's just remind myself of that, what my goals are, what's working, what's not working, what are the risks, what are the opportunities, and net-net, where does this leave me? You know, what do we need to stop doing, start doing, or do differently? And say, what's my level of confidence in achieving the goals I set out at the start? And if you begin not by dumping a whole set of information down on paper, but taking the time instead to think, what are the critical questions here? You will find that you approach the whole thing in a very different way. Einstein once said, if I had an hour to solve a problem, I would spend the first 55 minutes isolating the proper question that needs answering. Mm -hmm. Because once I've identified the question, I can solve it in less than five minutes. So this is important as a consultant. Um, it's very easy to be tempted to say, I have the solution. Um, it's my program. It's my um, workshop. It's my whatever that thing is. It could be my learning material, my intellectual property. But what we have to do, in fact, is to help organizations help themselves. Exactly. Um, it's a teach man to fish. Yeah. Teach them how to fish. Um, what do you say to people who say, well, how do I actually sell that? Because when I think of myself selling my training or my consulting or my facilitation skills or my coaching skills, um, what I actually charge for is is my framework, my methodology, my IP. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like what we're doing here is we're giving this to people to help themselves. How do we... <laughs> Is, is this, are we losing a monetization opportunity here? Sure. How, well, how do we, you know, make money from that? So there is work to be done in helping organizations to build this muscle, this critical thinking muscle and this new habit. You know, as okay. we all know, adopting new habits is hard, right? Mm. You need to make it easy to do and hard to avoid. And you need, uh, you need someone to show you the way. So there is a, there is a, a material upfront effort in helping once a once a business leader has bought into the opportunity the opportunity to really unleash the thinking power of everyone in their organization they will need help making it a reality and baking in these new habits and building the tools around it to make it to make it easy make it stick so uh, there is certainly a role for consultants here long term absolutely this is making one you know your success is evident from your from you know the the business's ability to solve its own problems. Um, clearly, one needs to keep working this because new people come into an organization who will need to be inducted into this way of approaching these tasks and unlocking this potential. Um, so, you know, I suppose a consultant needn't worry that they're going to be redundant anytime soon. But, um, but indeed, I suppose the, the beauty of this is what a small team of consultants can achieve in terms of the multiplier effect by not just being the person that brings forth solutions to an organization, but a person who helps an organization unlock its own thinking power and potential. Mm. Uh, that, that multiplier effect is, I think, really exciting and, mm. uh, and demonstrates far greater impact than any one individual's ability to come in, frame and solve problems. So it's true facilitation, literally. Someone is facilitating someone's own journey of discovery and yeah. uh, productivity. Um, so let's just say you've done that. You, you've come in and you've helped organizations to ask better questions and identify gaps, skills gaps, performance gaps, and help to close those gaps. How do you then monetize that further so that um, people come back, don't come back and say, well, that's great. Thank you very much. Goodbye. How do you keep them or keep you sticky uh, for them so that they see you sure. as part of success as a partner going forward. Yeah. So, I mean, I can certainly share what we do at 
board intelligence. Um, so we are a commercial business. Uh, we have a, a business model that is sticky. Um, we use technology because it helps make what we do stick better. So um, there's a there's a wonderful Churchill story that uh, that I, I like a great deal. Where back in uh, back at the start of the Battle of Britain, he was uh, he'd just taken off his post as Prime Minister. And uh, it was a pretty scary time, right? Uh, bombs falling on London every night and uh, only a matter of time before German boots were on British soil. He dictated a memo to his secretary in the summer of the Battle of Britain. And uh, the memo requested that his generals and civil servants change the way they communicate and write shorter briefings and clearer briefings, cut out the jargon, cut out the needless words, right? And he wrote this brilliant little memo. And uh, and actually, if you search for it online, search for kind of Churchill's memo on brevity, you'll find it. The thing is, a few months later, he needed to dictate another memo to his secretary, he had to do it all over again. And a few years later, he did it all over again. And so my point there is not just that, like us, Churchill sees value in clear communication, because like us, he recognises it doesn't matter how good the quality of the thinking is, if his generals or, in our case, management team members, if they can't communicate that thinking clearly, it will wither on the vine. If you can't compel others to action around it, then, you know, it's of little value. So he, like us, understood the value of communication, clear communication, and how hard it is. And repetition. And repetition. But... It's what he also, I think, evidences very neatly is that just telling people to do it doesn't work. Just, you know, and even Churchill, you know, even somebody as I wouldn't even hope to be a fraction as impactful and persuasive as Churchill, but even he couldn't compel people to do this. Hence why he had to keep repeating it and it didn't work, right? And we all know to this day, it's a problem that persists in, in all walks of government and life. Because just telling people to to communicate more clearly or to think more deeply or to ask themselves more challenging and probing questions and to sit with those questions for longer or be focused on the things that matter most, you know, that just, that doesn't immediately translate spontaneously into a culture of thinking, clear communication or focus. You need to put guardrails in place, right? You need to put systems and processes in place that help to make it stick. Going back to like making it hard to avoid, making it easy to do well. So the way we use software is to invite our clients to log into our software platform to craft their management report. And what the management reporting software we've built will do as you write your paper is it will both guide you towards sets of questions you might want to consider, but it will also provide live AI-based analytics to nudge and poke you as to how well you are or are not fulfilling these aims. So if you, for example, Mm. draft a whole spiel that is long and verbose and turgid, it will flag that your writing is hard to engage with and propose ways of crafting neater. Okay. So if we take that principle in a way to make people or make ourselves sticky for our clients so that we are helping them, it's true facilitation. What you're describing sounds like coaching to me. Um, we, We could impose a solution or or instigate some kind of solution, but here we're helping them to co-create the solution by asking questions. Yeah. And so they're seeing you in a different light. You're not just a, a solution provider. You're you're almost a thinking partner. Exactly. And so you separate yourselves from the competition. And going further still, um, 
irrespective of the software or the brand of software, the principle is true here is that you're providing tools which they use. Um, that helps them to, again, use you in what they do. So it's part of uh, working with your brand. And I guess for people listening, that is something that AI could represent as an opportunity, giving people a set of tools under your brand as a consultant, which they will use to get benefit from your framework or whatever the IP is that you've crafted. Um, what else comes to mind in terms of, of generating that stickiness so that people, apart from software, apart yeah. from tools, uh, feel that you're part of their success and they're happy to uh, consult with you, even bring things to you before they actually do them. So they feel that they can trust you with things that they may not trust other people with. I mean, it's a huge part of being a consultant yeah. is, is so, being in the right time in the right place where people share things with you before they go to market. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter how good the software is if people aren't going to want to use it. So winning hearts and minds is always the first step. And we do that in person. So uh, running workshops with clients and uh, I suppose helping to helping that light bulb moment to ignite that, explains to management teams the potential power of this approach and what's in it for them we do that in person and uh and and other people can too you know running essentially workshops with organizations with management teams so have you got a team of of facilitators that that come and you do okay we do so uh so we do so we're an unusual software firm so uh we have about 30 40 people who log it uh subscribe to our software platform across large mostly large multinationals but um unlike many software firms we have a very strong professional services team who work closely with clients much who, who look and feel a lot like consultants who engage with each organization to understand what is the very specific focus and nature of critical thinking that they need and then to win the hearts and minds of the various ranks of management that need to be brought into this really helping them to see what's in it for them and helping mm. them to experience the joy that comes from thinking more deeply and unlocking those insights that uh that we're often you know too busy to find, but that really set us on a different path and sets us up for mm. success. And, and the importance of that. Sorry. That's interesting because um, I had a, a discussion recently with a professor of consulting and um, we talked about uh, building a business literally for, for acquisition. What, what if you're a consultant, a trainer, as I am, and a coach, how would you build something that's just not you and has a monetary value or at least an appeal to a potential acquirer? And we talked about the multiples that um, are involved. So if someone is buying a consult- uh, consultancy, it might be, let's say, three times um, ARR, something like that, annual recurring revenue. Um, if, it's a, if it's a brand, let's say a training consultancy or a consultancy full stop with, um, let's say, its own IP, then the multiple goes up. Mm-hmm. If it's uh, a brand with its own software, mm-hmm. it almost doubles in terms of its attraction or attractiveness to a potential acquire. Mm -hmm. And if it has a community of people who regularly use it or engage with each other across uh, the spectrum of client organizations, it's even more attractive still. Whereas here, it sounds like you are a software company, but you've a consulting arm, professional services arm, almost the other way around, but it still amounts to the same thing. It's a very attractive uh, offer to a client organization that doesn't just want uh, know-how, 
they, yeah. they also want some kind of tools they can use to yeah. unlock um, so, you know, collective intelligence within. Yeah, I mean, we got into this by accident. So uh, we were working as pure play consultants with our clients, running workshops, preparing word-based templates and PowerPoint decks for them to, right. to populate for their board information. And we decided we wanted to, uh, but this is a strategy that, that did not go in the direction we intended. We wanted to work with more smaller and medium-sized organizations who couldn't afford the kind of fees that we were charging to the very is large right? multinationals. Wow. And so we thought if we could create a product that would productize our know-how, that would be more accessible. We could set it at a lower price point. It could be more scalable and it would help more of that, uh, more of those emerging organizations. Our very first client for that product was Royal Bank of Scotland. That was the absolute last thing we expected. Not exactly a small business. No. And it turned out the reason they wanted to use the product was because they wanted to scale it across very, very large communities within the bank. This was in the years post, post Fred the Shred, sort of, uh, they were trying to sort of rebuild and, uh, and change the way they did things. Um, and, uh, and for them, it was appealing for the ability to scale it across these large communities. And, uh, and we, we found that th that's where we, that's where we end up, but it, it, we didn't build it to be a tech company. We build we built the tech in order to to make what we do uh, more transferable beyond as consultants. As consultants, and right. uh, we didn't even know the term ARR. You know, we didn't uh, we didn't know what consulting multiples were or what tech multiples were. Um, we just found the work we did really exciting and wanted more people to be able to mm. do things our way. And, uh, and so we sort of stumbled into this um, and uh, wow. it's, it's, it's taken us not where we expected. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, I think our mindset has always been a deep interest in the problem, the problem of both how you help boards to get access to relevant readable information, but also the problems of how you help management teams to build these three capabilities of critical thinking, communication and focus that yield the output that the board needs. But obviously the power of this goes far beyond good board pack. Um, it's It's got value as an end in itself, which is more and more mm -hmm. about these days. And then how has the book helped you generate leads, attention and clients? I guess this is a good case in point. So uh, it's got us onto podcasts and all sorts. Um, it did what... Uh, so one of the things we talk about in the book is that you need to externalize your thinking in order to spot the gaps, find the wrinkles, and then solve for them, right? And it did that for us too. So in the course of writing the book, we you know variously write chapters and then step back, read them, and think, what utter rubbish, and you know rip them up. And um, and uh, so yeah. it was a very healthy process of uh, of helping to iron out our own our own thoughts on this. Um, you know, you think it all makes sense in your head until you try to express it to somebody else and it and it does or it doesn't stand up to inspection so so we found it very helpful for our own sake um we found it uh yeah really helpful for new people coming into the business helping them to very quickly get up that learning curve of, sort of understanding what we're about um clearly for for clients and prospects helping to ex explain what the point of all of this is why it matters and and how you can do it with or without us and one thing that we are keen to explore, so your community here obviously are a lot of coaches, a lot of consultants. We would love to expand our execution model to embrace more third parties. So if anyone's listening to this podcast and thinking, you know, either I know an organization that would benefit from really tapping into, you know, perhaps they want, they have an ambition to to delegate more decision-making authority and and to unlock that thinking power that they 
CEOs latent in their organization. And anyone knows an organization they'd like to be doing that with or just thinks the kind of work we do sounds fun. We are open and enthusiastic to explore more ways of of partnering with mm. third party consulting groups and such. Yeah, there could well be people who think um, I have a client that's a bank right now or an insurance company. This sounds like something that uh, could be an offering or something that uh, at least could be attractive to this organization for these reasons. Okay, um, really exciting. Jennifer, where can people connect and find out more about you? You've got a book website called collectiveintelligence-book.com. Is that still valid? Yeah. That's correct. Yep. If you okay. go onto there, you'll find a few small, a few short videos that sum up uh, some of the thinking in the book. Um, and you'll find a link to the Amazon page where you can buy a copy of the book. Uh, it's a nice short read. So we take our own medicine of keeping things to the point. So it's a, uh, you can pretty much read it in one sitting. It's a two to three hour read. Um, and uh, you can contact me through LinkedIn, Jennifer Sundberg uh, at Board Intelligence and uh, and pop onto our website, boardintelligence.com. Wonderful. I'll provide all links to today's episode over at trainingbusiness.com. Jennifer, thank you so much for being my guest today on the show. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. My thanks to Jennifer Sundberg for being my guest today. You can find out more about Jennifer by checking out her website. Her title is Co-Chief Executive at Board Intelligence. And the website for the book is www.collectiveintelligence-book.com. Again, all links mentioned today will be over on the episode page for this week's show. That's on trainingbusiness.com. There is a fresh episode next Thursday. Until then, I look forward to your company next time. Look after yourself. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.